Welcome to another episode of Hat Collecting, the show where we talk about the many different metaphorical hats that people wear, because no one does just one thing and everyone has a story. I am your host, Lacey Artemis, a creative Jill of all trades, and I am joined today by Alana O'Reilly, who is a podcaster, a choreographer, a barista, and much more. Alana hosts the Dystopian Telephone Podcast, an existential comedy podcast for the new renaissance, and has, and has choreographed projects yet to be staged, unfortunately, due to COVID. Alana's pronouns are she and her. Thank you so much for joining me, Alana. Thank you for having me, Lacey. I'm so excited. <laughs> yes. Um, so speaking of this dystopian podcast thing, I was on that recently. So sure. if you want to hear that, I believe it was episode nine just came episode out. Episode nine, to, yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure when this is going to come out yet, so I can't say how many weeks ago, but yeah, episode nine, that's that's where I was. Um, and I was talking about the trans experience, which was, uh, which was fun and interesting. <laughs> um, so yeah, the way that I like to start this show is uh, a lot of my guests uh, are living in Toronto or grew up in Toronto, and I'm trying to get past that eventually. But for now, I still do ask, um, where did you grow up? So I... I grew up, so I was born in Oshawa, but I grew up in a town called Amherstburg, which is like a small town outside of Windsor, um, known largely for their pizza. <laughs> so it's, it's a cute little town. For the longest time, it was like Canada's um, safest community. I don't know if it still holds that title, but we have a we have a big old sign on the way into town that says that, urging crime to like come. So yes, that is where I grew up largely was in Amherstburg, which is also in Ontario. Yes. And would you say, do you think there's any, uh, I guess, because it's kind of a smaller town. So I've been liking to ask when guests come from a smaller town, are there any kind of like small town kind of stereotypes or things like that? Maybe misconceptions that you would like to maybe address? <laughs> um, Kind of, honestly, I feel like now that I've, I've only really been in the city for like a few years now, I think about it'll be going on three years. Um, and so I haven't, really noticed like a ton of like stereotypes that are either right or wrong outside of just like I guess like the small town mindset the you know like small town small mind kind of idea and I don't want to say that's true but I also don't want to say it's false I don't know I find I think that that it's not so much the size of the town but like the people that you find in it like I will say that I I didn't find my people really until I moved out of a small town but that on the same coin, like most of the people that I know and grew up with are pretty open-minded and like, yeah, well, what's kind of occurring to me, I remember reading an article, it was either like last year or maybe a couple of years ago, it was an article specifically about a lot of millennials who were, um, you know, flocking kind of away from Toronto because it had become too expensive and that they, mm -hmm. there was specific like smaller towns in Southern Ontario that apparently were starting to become little enclaves for artists fleeing the big city in search of like more quiet and more affordability. And so I find that really interesting because I've been in Toronto now for about 12 years, I think. And I do love it here. I like the, the sort of the more like the kind of, you know, the annex or Parkdale, like kind of places a little bit like that, that feel a little bit more like a, an old town versus like a big fancy new city. But, um, I can totally see myself maybe in a few more years uh, kind of doing the same, a similar kind of thing of like moving a little bit more out of town for just a, you know, something like that. And so I do, I just, that occurred to me of like, you know, we were used to thinking of like, Oh, small towns are boring. Like I grew up in, in Oshawa, which is not exactly a small town, but I did find it very boring there and stifling. 
Um, but I think eventually once you kind of know who you are and you've kind of found your people, I guess, or found your thing, then you can kind of take that with you wherever you go next and kind of continue on. Yeah, I agree. I very much agree with that. I'm looking for an apartment right now. Actually, my roommate and I are looking to move and like we we toyed with that or I toyed with the idea of like moving to like Hamilton or whatever. You know what I mean? Because it's cheaper, <laughs> but also still accept like you still get that like art scene and like that's something really important to me. So, yeah, yeah. But for now, it's the city life. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and with that said, uh, I'm going to take a moment to do our land acknowledgement. Um, Toronto or Tecoronto is located on the traditional unceded territory of the Mississaugas of the New Credit First Nations, the Huron Wendat, the Haudenosaunee Confederacy, and the Anishinaabe. This is a dish with one spoon treaty territory, and we are uninvited visitors on this land. Um, yeah, I know that, uh, like I said, a lot of my guests have been kind of from this area or kind of grew up in this area. So I haven't been um, pushing the guests to kind of do their own research on this. But uh, I know that once you kind of heard about this from me, you sort of adopted it for dystopian telephone, which I think mm -hmm. is very cool. Um, and I'm trying to get better at remembering to also say, and Black Lives Matter, because I mean, it's a right. button on the screen on YouTube every episode since I think episode three or four, but yeah. um, I don't always remember to say it. And so uh, I'm going to do that now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and of course, you know, Black tri black Trans Lives Matter and uh, and all of that. So um, with that, is, is there anything, I guess I should offer you uh, an opportunity if you want to say anything about that stuff. You don't um, have to. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't think I have any additional comments other than just like a resounding yes. Heckin' important. <laughs> yeah. Very, very important. Yeah, we... So we thank you for acknowledging that, honestly. Yeah, and uh, I, I guess I'll, while we're on that, I will just kind of quickly say back in episode six, I uh, had someone on the show who was a lot more like someone who works in diversity and inclusion and they explained kind of where the land acknowledgement came from, like why we do it. And so if you want to learn a little bit more about that, you can listen to episode six, or if you go to YouTube, I actually cut that chunk out and made it a standalone video on my channel. So that's a, a quicker, easier way to get that information. Okay. <laughs> um, so with that said, uh, I know in the intro I kind of introduced, I mentioned several things that you do. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about how you got into these things that you do? Okay, so with choreography, I kind of just, it just happened. So I started dance, like I took dance when I was little and absolutely, <laughs> I was a drama queen about it in the sense that I, so when I was super little, I was in preschool ballet and we did Mary Had a Little Lamb and I was in preschool one and the preschool twos got to be Mary and the preschool ones had to be the lambs. And I was absolutely distraught that I didn't get to be Mary in the show and had an absolute meltdown about it. And then didn't take dance again until I was in eighth grade. <laughs> um, my parents were like, nope, we're not dealing with this. So I got back into dance and I really, really, really loved it and like went super hard. Like I said, I was in a small town and there wasn't really a lot to do in the arts. like in like that was accessible because the like Windsor was the nearest city and it was like a half hour drive away and my parents both worked and I obviously couldn't drive I was 13 so um, I started taking dance and fell in love with it and started demonstrating and and then started teaching like all within like from eighth grade until like 11th grade like I was like class after class after class I did competitive things I did whatever and and then in university I started doing or I guess right after high school like at the end of high school I started doing musical theater as just as a performer which I really loved. And that's kind of what got me into 
um, singing and stuff too. But because I was teaching dance, um, I, when I think about myself as like a, like a dance person, I don't really consider myself like I am a dancer. I can dance. It's a thing that I do, but I'm not, I don't really consider myself a dancer because I was always more of the artistic side of dance rather than the athletic side of dance. Um, in the sense that like, I liked to create and I liked to make like build the stage more than I liked to like drill choreography into my own head and have to perform it, even though I did love performing as well. So I did that and I got an opportunity with a, with a theater company in Windsor to choreograph. I think my first show that I did officially outside of just like teaching at a studio was Jekyll and Hyde, uh, the musical. And I only got to do like two numbers in the show. And one was like a burlesque kind of number. And then the other one was more just blocking. And I was like, absolutely obsessed and wanted to do so much more so naturally I got another opportunity and I choreographed cats which is like a huge like going from two numbers to like a whole show where I was basically the assistant director and it was like the hardest thing I've ever done and it was so stressful and I did it while I was trying to graduate university but it was like I was obsessed like it was so good and it turned out so well and like we sold out the second weekend and I got like like people were really like happy with what I did I was really happy with what I did and then it kind of just stuck so I've been seeking out opportunities to do it ever since. And yeah, since moving to Toronto, I was supposed to do back and forth the musical for the Fringe Festival. Um, but obviously that didn't happen. So that's kind of just waiting. So right now I just teach, like I teach for my other job. And so there's that. Um, podcasting, funny enough, also just fell onto me. Um, like I, I needed a way to make art. And like I said, I couldn't choreograph back and forth um, this year because of all of it <laughs> and um so yeah and so I'm like questioning myself as like a dancer and a choreographer and I'm like oh what's my art form like I was gonna I was acting largely before this and that kind of fell apart because I'm a theater actor not a film actor and being on camera usually makes me feel kind of weird and so I was like what do I do how do I connect how do I make art how do I how do I keep learning and connecting in this world like I'm such an extrovert so I was like I need to do something so I just I'd been toying with the idea of a podcast and so Dejan, who are our mutual friends, I who does the podcast with me now. I asked him and he's the one who wrote back and forth who I was choreographing for. And I was like, hey, we can't I can't really do this, but like, would you want to do a podcast with me? And uh so we we sat down for a brainstorming session in the summer when when restrictions were a little bit lighter and things were okay. We sat down and we like brainstormed like a bunch of episodes and like a bunch of like guest pairings and like the concept that we're still kind of working with, even though it's shaped up a little bit better in the past little while, is kind of like like it was all kind of there in that first meeting and and like yeah the, the um what is it just an existential comedy podcast for the new renaissance it's like I completely pulled that out of my butt like it was just like the most ridiculous thing and I was like I don't know what the new renaissance is. and like the new renaissance like I just made that term up like no one's saying that but I was like you know what no I like it it's accurate and so now we do it and it's the thing that I'm honestly having the most fun with ever um, outside of my barista job, which also happens to fall on me right before the pandemic. I was like searching and searching and searching for work because I'm a starving artist and needed to pay my bills. And I got hired last February <laughs> and and then everything fell apart. And so now I realize I actually really love being a barista um, in the same way that I feel like I would love bartending. And I just like that, like social connection. Like I, I actually really like going to work every day. And I, it's like my little family through all of this. So my getting my barista job like early on in, in the pandemic was actually such a like weird blessing in disguise because they're like my little family. So yeah, that's, those are my origin stories. 
Yeah, no, I kind of, uh, I kind of decided because I know that uh, dystopian telephone tends to be about an hour and a half, and I usually try to keep this show around an hour. But under special circumstances, if the content is good, I say let it go a little bit longer. <laughs> and so with this one, like I just because I kind of already have like I, I kind of know your like energy and a bit of your story. I feel like with pe- with guests like that, I can kind of dig in a little bit more, and because like for a lot of the episodes, it does kind of just end up being like an interview and I called it a talk show and I've stopped calling it that just because it won't always be like that interactive, but I do actually want to be able to have more discourse, which is kind of why the question set is still evolving and I'm trying to find ways to kind of anyways. Um, but yeah, I remember when, uh, Dejan first kind of told me about your podcast idea and I hadn't even started mine yet. And it's like, Oh wow, these actually, there's a lot of kind of, crossover similarity here and it's interesting you mentioned the renaissance too because that's been kind of a i guess a running theme in my life with uh i don't know if you've ever heard of like scanners or multi-potentialites or renaissance yeah. souls yeah I so have. Yeah. i i discovered that concept i don't know maybe like a decade maybe not quite a decade ago but a while ago and i it kind of gave me this like this this label i guess or this um just it gave me an answer for like what am I and why am I struggling so much? And a lot of the projects that I've started uh, or have tried have been around. And this one is like kind of really the epitome of it because it originally started that I was, I wanted to interview other generalists, other like Renaissance people who kind of do a bunch of different things and aren't happy doing just one thing and can't be that, you know, prototypical good little capitalist. And, (laughs) and, but then I realized that that would be way too like, it needed to have broader appeal. And so it evolved into just a list of questions that anyone can answer about their kind of story and their journey and just what insights can kind of come out of that. And so I think in a way, even though our shows are distinctly different, there's still kind of a, there's an underlying uh, link between them, which I think is really cute. (laughs) Absolutely. Right though. There is. And like, it's funny that you say that, like I, I remember seeing the multi-potential. I'd never heard that term before until like this past year. And I saw the TED talk. I cannot think of their name, but someone does a TED talk about it. And I remember watching it and just like, I just started sobbing. Cause I was like, that's me. I was like, oh my gosh. Cause I've never known, like I've, I'm all over the place. I do so many things. It's absurd. I can't just pick, I can't even pick two. Like, <laughs> yeah. And like that, that is again, a big part of why I do this show, because I just, I got so frustrated after so many years of just like, well, all of my passions are like creative and artistic, but I can't make a living from that. And, Mm -hmm. but I still want to do them anyways. And, but how can I find a way to, to kind of combine my like love of learning and of sharing information and of being creative and hopefully being inspirational and, and meeting and talking to interesting, cool people. And how can I put that all together? And, this is kind of what happened. And I'm hoping eventually that it, uh, you know, does become something a little bit more and maybe, you know, become something that it can, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to live off of it, but who knows. <laughs> but, right. And like, yeah, well, always, I feel like when it comes to like money and something I've just kind of come to is like, I'll figure it out. I'll figure the money part out. There's always something you can do to make money. And like, like I'm in, I'm going back and forth in my head about monetizing. Like I'm trying to monetize a little bit. Like I'm trying to get a Patreon up and add this mental block around it because I'm like, oh, like, but it's my art. But I'm like, I want to be an artist. So I have to figure out how to monetize it at some point. It's like the whole point, but not the whole point. It's not the whole point. And I think that's what I keep coming back to is like, 
even if it's monetized, like it's not monetizing my personality. Like that's what it feels like. But really it's like, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to find a way to keep doing what drives me because I've like money has never been my motivator. And I've, when money is the only motivator that I have to keep me going, I tend to just not thrive and not do the thing. And I've never really understood like when that's people's main motivator in life. Like I just, I wish I could sometimes, but it just, it doesn't like, it doesn't work for me. Yeah. So I'm actually going to, uh, oh wait, did I, oh, I thought I had the question missing. Um, I sort of, I think I'm asking these slightly out of order, but but I'll worry about that later. I, I wanted to, uh, just because we're kind of on that topic, and so I wanted to ask now, um, maybe aside from, because I feel like that was kind of the answer to this question in a way, but like, what would you say, maybe aside from that, would have been one of the biggest obstacles for you to kind of getting to where you are sooner, where you wanted to be sooner? Uh, it's funny because I had when I was reading these over the two questions, the answers in my head were a money, but B just, I think like, and I know this is very cliche, but like caring what other people think, like I've spent so much of my life being so hung up on like other people's perceptions of me and just comparing myself to other people. And it's still something I, I struggle with from just like an anxiety perspective, um, but I think that, yeah, that was always the biggest thing is that fear of like failure, that fear of failing, not overtly, but in other people's eyes and like not being enough. So like I would like I feel like I didn't take chances on myself as much as I could have. And I, I fell into a lot of really like kind of sketchy situations and in, in uh, particularly in musical theater um, back in the day, just because I was so hung up on like, these people need to like me. And if they don't, then I'm doing something wrong. And I've kind of come to realize like, no, if everyone likes you, that's kind of when you're doing something wrong. Cause you can't be authentic and have everybody like you. And I think that if, so I've started to almost like find that like moment of joy and like, okay, when I don't resonate with somebody to be able to take a look at myself and think, am I proud of what I'm doing? And do I still ascribe to what I'm doing, even if they don't? And I've, I've, I find that like my voice is a lot easier to access. And because of that, it's a lot easier to like do things like start a podcast, which I never, I don't think I ever would have had the guts to do before, like before this year. So that's yeah. that. <laughs> Did you, we, we, we can potentially uh, cut this part out maybe, but I didn't know if you, if you wanted to talk a little bit about sort of the actual genesis of the dystopian telephone concept. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, it started. <laughs> so it's so okay. I'll try and keep it quick. So to start, I at the very beginning of the pandemic last March, I was living with my roommate and a partner uh, whom and I'm sure he would agree. Uh, we probably shouldn't have moved in together. We were not doing great. Like it was just not a good match, I guess. But we panicked because like, we were like, Oh, we have to move. So I guess we're moving together. Yay. And then we, we, the pandemic took us out pretty quick. So, so I was I was living with with my ex and he was living with me. And it was like, super turbulent. And my thing that I used, even though we ended and it was, it was a good thing that we did. I wasn't like necessarily heartbroken, but like a breakup is still something that you have to deal with. So I was like, I need something to do. And I usually like the last time I went through a hard breakup, I literally up and moved <laughs> to Toronto to become an actor, um, which whatever. And but then the time before that, I threw myself in musical theater and whatever. And I was like, I don't have a project. There's nothing for me to throw myself into right now. So I made one and it started out as it was like a, a collaborative arts project. Kind of like, I forget, I always forget what it's called. It's like a French name, but like, you know, when you have like a, like a, like a drawing of like a body 
and like you pass it around and like someone draws the head and someone draws the arm and someone draws the leg and someone draws whatever and you just like keep passing the piece of art around until you get like a cute little like collage of different people's art that's kind of what it was and I called it multimedia broken telephone for the modern dystopian artist um, which is such a mouthful and it eventually just got shortened down to dystopian telephone which I loved the, the ring of I really love like I write poetry too <laughs> and so I really love words and I love when words sound good together and I really just dystopian telephone has such a lovely little like ring to it and so after that project ended like we did the whole thing it was like super fun um, we did like a little mini film festival of it it was like music what were the elements it was music Music, visual art, um, movement, and writing. And then the last one was editing. So everyone got to edit together like a cute little film. And so, and then we had like our little like viewing thing. And I was like, now it's done. I don't know if I'm going to do it again. It was a lot of like work. But I was like, I did a project. I did a thing. I finished it. I did it the whole time. And I was like, oh, okay. And then when I, so when I started, I was like, I need something to do. I need a platform. I, I, I toyed with TikTok and I tried and I just, I love TikTok, but I get it's, it's for some reason, I just have not been able to be consistent with creating content on TikTok. I don't really know what my brand is. It's a lot of like planning and effort. And I just, it just wasn't working for me. I was like, this isn't going to be like my number one um, platform. And I was like a podcast and dystopian telephone as a title, just kind of like, I was like, perfect. That's the title. And from there I was like, okay, what do I want? I kind of started with that little phrase, like the, the existential comedy podcast for the new Renaissance, because a, like I said, like that Renaissance person thing I'm obsessed with. And that's kind of how it started with like everyone. And in my mind, like it's almost like with the Ratatouille, like everyone can cook. I'm like, everyone is an artist. Everyone can make art. Art is the most human thing that we have. And I want to bring people on no matter what they do. And I want like this is them making art, just coming and talking about what brings them joy is like artful in its own right. And anyway, so that's kind of how it started. And with like the dystopian, I'm like, we live in a dystopian nightmare. Like everything is bad but there's beauty in the world. Like there's a lot of beauty in the world. And I don't know, I guess like for me, like I said, I'm, I'm a major, major extrovert. Like, I don't know if you, if anyone knows like the Myers-Briggs, but I'm an ENFJ. So I'm like an extroverted, an extroverted, intuitive judging feeling. Like I'm like, I, I can't, I don't do a lot of isolation. It's funny so. because I'm an INFJ. <laughs> yes, that actually doesn't surprise me at all. My sister's an INFJ. One of my closest friends is an INFJ. That's like INFJs and INFPs are like the two types that I tend to like end up really close with. And then Dejan is an E S F J maybe. Okay. I think we have, or maybe it's a T we have one letter off and it's either the second or third letter. I can't remember which one it is, but that's another type that I have a very different kind of relationship with. I've noticed, but anyway, I'm, I'm going off on a tangent now, but that's, yeah. Did I answer your question? Like that's kind of how yeah. it's going to be. No, just because, again, because I kind of know a bit more of the backstory and I, even though I didn't actually end up participating in the original Broken Telephone Multimedia Project, I did think it was such a cool idea. And um, I, and just because I do think that that is relevant to kind of explaining and painting the picture of how you got to kind of where you are now. And like I said, I'm, I'm really uh, allowing myself to indulge in this one, uh, I admit. So don't, don't worry too much about rushing. <laughs> okay, um, <cool. laughs> um, I, I'm kind of, yeah, I'm kind of just letting myself indulge and, and enjoy this one a little bit more. Uh, I might regret that we later, but <laughs> we need to enjoy things right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, Do not. So, one of the important questions here as part of this again, because I'd like to try and help people learn things. Um, what I guess we can 
if you want to kind of do all three of the main things or if you want to just pick one or two, but I like to ask about misconceptions because I know everyone has assumptions when you think like, oh, you're a barista, oh, you're a, choreo oh. a choreographer. Like, what do you think people think when they first hear that that is wrong or that is maybe just needs a little bit of adjusting? I think, okay, and I, I, I get a little bit passionate about both of these. Um, so for choreography, I'll be quick about this one, something that, and this is something that I get trapped in still. So I'm like adding myself here. I'm like trying to convince myself, but to be a choreographer, you don't have to be a dancer, like a dancer, like, like you have to have a dance background, obviously that helps, but like, Oh, am I going to get it wrong? Oh, that Fosse, Bob Fosse, Bob Fosse, his whole thing. The whole reason Fosse is a style in and of itself is because Bob Fosse was not a technically good dancer. And he is one of the most prolific choreographers and well-known choreographers in like North American history, uh, especially when it comes to theater and musical theater, which my favorite show of all time is Chicago. So like, anyway, but so that's something that like for me took me a really long time to come to because I don't, I feel weird about going into spaces as a choreographer because I don't like dance as much as I used to. And like, I don't like, I can't kick myself in the head anymore. And I can't like do like a quadruple pirouette into like a, you know, like I can't, I have the knowledge and I have the creative insight, but I don't always, it doesn't always look the way on my body that I want it to look on other people's bodies. And that, but that the more I learn, the more I realize that like, you don't, you don't have to be like Mia Michaels. Is it like, yeah, she's phenomenal. And like, but you don't see Mia Michaels out there in like the, the, the court of ballet, you know what I mean? Like you don't, you can, you can be a choreographer without being like a super athletic dancer. So that I think is something that I'm still trying to tell myself, but I want other like potential and budding choreographers to know that too. Like you can be the creative, like you can do that. You don't have to be an actor to be a director. You don't have to, or a professional, you know, it's all, it's all what, what, yes. Anyway, I don't know how to end that sentence, but that's that one. But moving on to barista. Um, something that I get really fired up about, especially now that I actually found a low income job that I enjoy, that I could see myself doing like in a variety of capacities as like something to supplement my art is that low income work isn't easy work. It's not like my hands constantly look like I got in a fist fight because they're dry and covered in nicks and cuts and scratches and like my fingernails falling off right now. It's absolutely disgusting. I won't make you look at it, but like it's like, and on my back, my feet are always hurting. My back is always sore. And like I exercise, like I'm, so anyway, it's like, it's labor intensive. And it's like at the job that I have, like half of my job, if not more of my job is customer connection. So I'm not just being asked to like, like, I, I hate it when I hear people belittle low income work, especially service work, especially now, like at this point, service workers and low paid workers and I can go on about this forever. So cut me off whenever, but like low paid workers and service workers are holding the world and the economy together right now and being absolutely left behind when it, with, with the policies being made and with all of the, like the like restrictions being put into place, like, like especially things like curfew where it's like, okay, cool. So the low paid workers get to still go to their jobs from whatever time to whatever time, but now the time they have to actually do their living has been limited and, and their hours are getting cut and they're not getting given any government assistance. So um, and it's not just a bunch of students who live at home. It's it's artists and other adults and people with families. Like, I'm lucky that I'm single with no children. Like, mm -hmm. I cannot imagine and like working a low paid job right now and having to support a family. Um, but anyway, yeah, yeah. So that no. misconception, like it's easy work. It's whatever. No, it's just low paid work. This, this came up on on a recent episode. I don't remember which one it was now, um, but. 
Yeah, it was like, cause my first job ever was at a Wendy's and I have worked at several different restaurants mm-hmm. and like, yeah, I, I kind of went on a little mini rant myself because people were like, oh, yeah, how hard is flipping a burger? It's like, but you're not just flipping a burger. There's so much more than that. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah. my gosh. And like, yeah, you're all getting like grease burns and you're like all, you know, running around. And like, yeah, it's 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 definitely, and I've said this before, I feel like the jobs that pay the least, I think not all, in every case, but in a lot of cases, they actually are the hardest jobs and the ones that pay the best. I mean, it's maybe a different type of difficulty because obviously of working course, construction yeah. is different than being a lawyer, but like yeah, and skill it's, sets and things and like things that require like a longer time in, in school, like things like yeah. doctors and lawyers and obviously. Yeah. But I think this but is yeah. why it's important that we should have like that people that minimum wage should be a livable wage because then it doesn't matter what you're doing. You can still live comfortably. And yeah. this is where the whole, you know, class warfare comes in. We won't, we won't go down that road, obviously, but. <laughs> Goodness, um, what a rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah. Um, so. Yeah, I guess I will. I will continue on with the questions now. Uh, we we've indulged quite comfortably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so, when you were a child, do you remember what you wanted to be or do when you grew up? So many things. I think my favorite, my favorite, and probably the longest, which is might surprise people, is I wanted to be for the longest time. I wanted to be a meteorologist. Um, there was a point in time when I wanted to be an interior designer and a psychologist, and of course, I wanted to be a pop star for like the whole time. I didn't think it was achievable because I lived in a small town and the resources weren't there, but I still wanted it. Um, But the meteorologist thing, I don't even know why. And I'm still really fascinated with like weather and like, but I remember I watched like, you know, the movie Twister, like that really bad movie about tornadoes. I watched it when I was like seven and I was like, a storm chaser. That's a career for me. And then my parents were like, mm, I don't think that's like a valid. And I was like, you know what? You're right. It's probably too risky. But a meteorologist, that sounds right. Like that sounds good. And like, obviously that's, I didn't pursue that, but I honestly could see a world where I did. Like I could see like an alternate version of the, where I'm like, just like a weather person who like does like all the weather things and then like goes on the news and like presents it. Like I could definitely see myself doing that if I had chosen a different path. <laughs> yeah, no, the, the fun coincidence with that, I always get excited when, when people bring up certain things because meteorologist is actually one of the professions on my list of like, I really want to have a meteorologist on this show at some point. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that I just, that's like, it gets me excited because it's also, again, I'm trying to like these different connections where like, I'll have one, because like, I literally just interviewed a, a like hairstylist colorist and somebody I interviewed a couple episodes before that, that's what they had wanted to be when they grew up. And so oh, I just okay. love these connections of like, oh, hey, this person from this episode wanted to do what you do. And just, I love that, how it's kind of come in full circle in different ways. I'm so connected. We're so much yeah. more similar than we think we are. Yeah, definitely. And I, And again, that's, again, part of what I'm striving for with this show is to just like again, everyone has that story and like you, you might be like, I'm often surprised when, when someone who does X thing turns out to also do Y thing on the side. And I just think that's so fascinating because there is this idea that people just, you are a this and you do this stuff on the side, but it's like almost no one seems to actually like do or like mainly do the thing that they want to mainly do. And so it's, but it's also, we can find like positives and, we can find value in the thing that we end up doing, even if it wasn't our dream. And um, yeah, I just, I like getting to the bottom of those things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the next question, bit of a, 
like the kind of preamble, the uh, preface for it. Um, I, I do happen to know that you're pretty sure you're not 30 yet. I'm not. <laughs> okay, I'm not 30 I was yet. remembering. So um, you've still got time, according to society, to get everything figured out. <laughs> um, but uh, if if you're on a path now that you, it sounds like you're on a path that you feel pretty good about, um, what age were you at? Uh, I guess there's sort of two parts. But what age were you at when you kind of first sort of got onto this path that you're happy on? And I guess also maybe in a couple of years, where do you hope that you'll be when you kind of get to that magical age? <laughs> right. Oh my goodness. So I, it's funny because when I was thinking about this question, I was like, oh, but I don't know. I was like, am I on the path I want to be on? But I think really in this past year, I've started to like really notice that I am in fact on a path that I like, despite everything that's gone wrong. But I feel like that started like, it's weird because I, I feel like I was I was on the right path when I started university a little bit. Like I had like an idea because I the program I studied is called drama and education and community. And I did go in. I went in wanting to be a teacher. And then I did immediately after like kind of panicked and went to teacher's college because I was like, that's the plan. I don't know what else to do, even though I didn't really want to do it. Um, and I ended up dropping out, not finishing it, which I'm honestly anyway, but I won't go on that tangent. But I after that kind of lost it. <laughs> for a couple of years. Um, I just worked full time at Tim Hortons at the time um, and was teaching still and was just like not in a good place, didn't really have a support system, was kind of in like a bad, it was just bad. It was a bad time. But um, in 2018, yeah, 2018. But anyway, yes, then I, I moved here, well, to Oakville actually, technically first. I moved to Oakville with the intention to go back to school. Um, and I was going to go back to school to get my child and youth care certificate, which is funny. My roommate's actually doing it right now, the same program. Um, but I was going to do that program at Humber College. And I was like, I got in. I was, I moved up here and I realized that applying to school is kind of a means to an end. And by getting up here, I had achieved that end. Um, and I was like, I don't want to go back to school. I don't want to work with, like, I do work with kids already and I do not wish to work with kids in any more of a capacity than what I already do. Um, why am I doing this program? So instead I started, I enrolled for class at second city. Um, I enrolled in an acting class cause I wanted, I had fallen out of, of acting and things. I was in like a weird, it was just a weird situation, but I fell out of like all of my arts. And I was like, I want to get back to the arts cause I miss the arts like so much. And so I took that acting class and went to one class and I was like, I'm not going back to school. I'm going to become an actor. And I still like acting. And now I, I call myself an artist now because I, and even though that was like, I was like, I'm going to act and that's the thing. I still think that set me on the right path. Um, and every choice that I've made, whether or not those choices worked out um, that I've made since then has kind of led to that. And sometimes like, uh, I like sometimes will look, so I'm really emotional right now. I've been so emotional this week, this month, this six months year it's fine um <laughs> but I uh yeah like the one a little while ago I just like I remember like walking into my apartment and closing the door and like all the Christmas we had like set up our Christmas lights and and I was just like home alone that night and everything was like clean and I was like I've created a nice little life like this is I I'm struggling in ways and I'm doing whatever but like I I wouldn't take it back like any of it like I think that I'm I'm pretty happy with what I've what I've made for myself and I'm excited about what the future is going to hold for me. So, yeah, that's I guess I guess I feel like I'm on the right path. I'm absolutely not. I'm definitely still in the interim in a lot of ways like but yeah, I don't know. Part of uh, part of that was also shoot, sorry. I'm I forgot an important part. 
part of that was also coming out. Um, the same summer that I decided to be an actor was the summer that I realized that I was bi. Um, and I came out at a drag show, did nothing really came of it for two years, but I, I like to look back and think like, yeah, I moved, changed, like decided to become an artist and came out all in the same summer. And now those three things have like, and like took my life into my own hands, I guess, and kind of stopped listening as much to what other people thought. And that took longer to actually sink in. But, but yeah, summer 2018 was like the, the jumping off point for me. That sounds good. Um, again, like I'm, I'm enjoying just kind of like reveling in your story here. I don't, I don't know every single piece of it. I know, I know some of it, obviously. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I think this next set of questions, I was just thinking before we started recording that I think I might kind of combine them in a sense. Um, sure. And so just kind of like what I was, there, there's kind of a two part thing, um, obviously being like, silly and playful and goofing around, I feel like is pretty integral to the human experience. And also self-care is very important, which is becoming more, um, it's, I guess it's becoming a little bit more mainstream in, in the last few years. And it's, it's, we're starting to realize it's not all just like spa treatments and fancy dinners. Um, so I guess in, in a bit of a, not quite rapid fire sense, but just like, what was the last silly or playful thing you did on purpose that didn't involve children? And what was the last act of self-care that you did, no matter how small it was? Okay, so silly and playful. And okay, so I, every week on the podcast, we play a game. And it's my favorite part of the show. My roommate comes up with them. They're always like a funny little word game related to the topic. And I absolutely love it. I love like the last one we did. I kind of found myself in like a role of like a weird American Idol judge. And like just being silly in that regard is amazing. And even just sharing silly things. Like I, I, I'm such a big proponent of like play. Like play is so important. And just so I guess that's my answer for that is I do silly things every day. But the last big one is probably podcast things. And I try and make that a regular part of my life. Um, and as far as self-care goes, I just was actually funny enough to talk to my therapist about this today um, in the sense that like self-care can just be, be getting, getting dressed and, and walking around your plaza. Self-care can just be like, like giving yourself permission to, to be quiet and not talk to, and like say no to a phone call. Saying no can be self-care. And I think that like, like there's a lot of like, I'm, like very obvious I do a lot and it's, it's an overwhelming time to exist obviously. And so I've been like trying to find moments for self-care every day and, and the big self-care things like doing a yoga class or like, like making a green smoothie or cleaning the whole kitchen or whatever, those things aren't as accessible to me right now. And I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that. Like the anxiety depression combo <laughs> pack that I, that I was assigned um, <laughs> is, is making that, that really difficult. But it's, it's the really, really small things and just giving yourself permission to revel in those little tiny things that you give yourself and, and being grateful that grateful for, to yourself. I think that's part of it. It's just like being grateful for the things that you can give yourself no matter how small. So another question that I like to ask of my guests, uh, because I, I, I'm, you know, again, this show is about kind of learning and sharing, sharing things that we learn. Um, what was the last new thing that you learned and what is something that you would still like to learn, whether it's a skill or a piece of information or whatever? So this one I was like struggling with. And then I realized I was like, you know what, like the last thing I learned and I'm still learning is literally how to podcast. <laughs> Cause I was like, what have I learned? Like weird little things at work, I guess. And like, whatever, but yeah, no, like podcasting. And like, I've also been reading a book that I don't know if it's appropriate to mention, but basically it's about shadow work. So it's about like, 
just like like so that's been cool I've been reading a couple books slowly but surely I'm not amazing at reading like I have a hard time being focused on reading these days but I've been reading one book is called the body keeps the score which is just about trauma so that's been really good and interesting and learning about just mental health stuff like I'm like learning about but whatever so other than that though I think the most important thing is really just like how to exist in a digital world because I, I I've fought tooth and nail against it in like a weird way for a really long time and and I I don't love connecting with people virtually like it's even still like it I've been equating it to drinking decaf coffee because like I'm still having coffee I guess but like I'm not getting the same fulfillment out of it as I would if it was fully caffeinated coffee <laughs> and that's how I find a lot of digital communication to be but and say with teaching online but I've, I've had to I've been forced to adapt so I'm I'm actually I'm teaching like Zoom dance and drama tomorrow and I've had to learn how to like I really, there's like Jungle Run is like a drama game I can play and like how to like teaching how to like like or learning how to like teach through Zoom and how to like create a podcast and how to do things digital in like the digital world that like I didn't even know how to buy a domain name before and now I know that you can just like buy like I've there's just this whole new world for me that like I have I feel like I haven't learned all that much well that's not true I've learned a lot so far but I do feel like I have a lot more to learn in that realm as well. Um, yeah, but something else that I guess, I guess the other part of the question was something I want to learn. Um, yeah, I feel like I can say this. It was like, it's not like overtly like, but I really want to take like classes in like either aerials or like pole, like for like the fun, like aerial, like the like circusy things. Like right before all of this, that was kind of what I was wanting to do is like, I was going to go back and take some dance classes. But now that the longer I've had to think about it, I'm like, I've taken dance. I like dance. It's fun. It's cool. But really what I want to do is learn something new. So like, I'm really like hyped, either like a pole fit class or like an aerial, like silk, so like the big, like circle-y one or like, you know what I mean? Like circus-y classes. Cause I love acro and I love like gymnastics, but it was never something that I did as much growing up. Like I did it when I was really little, but like, so like I can do a cartwheel and like a, like a shoulder roll and like little things. And like, I do yoga. So like, like I'm really pretty into yoga as well. Like I want to eventually get my teacher certification um, when I have the time and, and resources to be able to do that. Um, but I think that that would be a fun like hobby that doesn't have to have a means to an end that I could just do for fun to just like bring all of my joys together. And yeah, so that's something I want to learn. Like that's like a post post COVID goal of mine is to take some kind of circusy class. <laughs> It, it's again this this happens occasionally when when the guest will will mention something and because you kind of mentioned i don't know if you were alluding to like pole dancing when you said yeah. pole okay yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was something i guess about three or maybe four years ago like because i just there are so many things that i'm interested in and i want to try even if just once and like there was a time and i still i still kind of am curious to try a pole dancing class well, i just I never have actually that. gotten around to doing one yeah I had a friend whose parents had one when I was in high school and like, I just, it's so fun. It's so just fun. It's such a fun thing to do. And I would love to take a class <laughs> or a bunch of classes. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, that's cool. Um, so this next question tends to, I find give some pretty interesting answers. Um, I like to ask this kind of concept because like we have our left brain and our right brain and there's, there's a lot of different kind of dualities that make up the human experience. Um, and to kind of keep it in the theme of, of hats, metaphorical hats, um, what would you say are maybe your two most dissimilar hats and hats being skills or interests? 
Oh, I was having a hard time with this one too. Cause I do, I feel like there's like a weird little like spider web thread that connects everything that I do. So I'm like this, oh, but it's similar to this. Oh, but it's similar. But I feel like realistically, and I was thinking about it when coming into this, cause my podcast is not a child appropriate podcast. Like it's an explicit show. I want to be very clear. If anyone's listening to this, who knows me in like a different context, it is not, it is not like the sunshine. And, well, it is sunshine and rainbows, but it's like edgy sunshine and rainbows. I don't know what I'm saying anymore, but I think that that like the podcast version of me and then like the me that I bring to like teaching kids, even though they're very similar, I think that they would still have to be my two most dissimilar hats because I do have like this like birthday party clown persona almost I find because I am very like the goodness darn golly, you know, like I have all these little filler words because I do, I have a hard time not swearing and I think I'm doing pretty well on this one. I have I shouldn't say I have a hard time unless I turn, I have to like flip my brain. Like I'm either in teacher mode where I'm speaking like I would speak to children, which is kind of how I had to flip my brain for this. Or I'm in podcast mode where I'm just like super crass and making like, you know, like, and I get like fired up about capitalism and I like, and I like scream about the patriarchy and I have like a whole like side of me that like is explored, like, like about like shadow work and like kink and like all those kinds of things and like that kind of world and like se- like human sexuality is something I'm so fascinated with. So like that part of me, that's very explicit versus like the part of me that teaches kids and the part of me that like comes on, you know, like I think that those, because it always shocks people because I am very like bubbly and like, like I give off, like I, I like I've, I've been told on multiple occasions that I give off like kindergarten teacher vibes because, but I'm like that to me, is almost surprising, but I realized that it is absolutely like a persona. It's like a version of myself that I put on like for, for like the public, I guess. And yeah. So I think those like the pot and the, but whereas the podcast is just like, I don't hide all that much on the podcast. Like it is honestly the most authentic thing I've ever put out, which is why it's so scary. Um, and then there's me teaching, which is also oddly scary to share because it's a version of myself that usually is only seen by children and the other and my employers. <laughs> So, yeah, does that answer? Does that make sense? I think <laughs> it absolutely does. And as I'm sure won't surprise you, I can definitely relate to that as well. And like, I made the conscious choice to keep this the main show PG. When we get to the bonus, you can swear all you want. But but again, because I wanted this to be accessible to any audience, um, that was a choice that I made. Like, I've had people swear, I just censor it. Um, but just. Yeah, I, I want because I mean, not that I necessarily expect that this show is going to end up getting shown in like classrooms. That would be awesome. I would that would just make me so proud. And yeah. and but I just I but I get what you mean because like I have explored like the kink world and like also being on like the asexual spectrum. Um, so like there's times where like I'm like oh yeah like I totally want to just like flaunt it and there's other times where I'm just like I am just working nothing else matters. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and so I, I totally get that. And I think, and this is kind of, again, why I like this question, because it does help to kind of highlight how no one is just one thing. No one is that like linear and, and kind of rigid and, and one, one note, like we all have, and, and some people just from doing this show, I feel like, or even thinking about the questions, they've told me like, oh yeah, this kind of made me realize some things. And I'm like, yes. (laughs) So Again, the show is ultimately achieving my goals. And so I'm really excited to see it go for a while and, and see who I can eventually get on. <laughs> um, so the next question here, uh, and I guess 
this one kind of relates, I guess, more to pre-pandemic, but you can answer it for pre or now or both if you want. But like, what is your schedule generally like? And do you have a peak time of day? Um, I, I've been thinking a lot about this lately because I feel I, I call myself a morning person, but I think I'm a morning person because I get up early for work, honestly, and, and because I have anxiety. Um, I love, well, I, again, like I experienced depression too. And like, especially now, like largely circumstantial, but I find I like, I saw this somewhere on the internet one time. I have no idea where it's probably a meme, but like comparing, it was like, like you can tell a lot about somebody if like, like morning people tend to have anxiety as like their higher issue. Whereas night, like evening people tend to have depression as their bigger issue because with anxiety, you wake up and there's a bear chasing you and you're like, I gotta go. Let's just do it. Let's do all the things before it catches up to me. And I'm useless. Like I'm useless between like, it's weird. We're recording right now. Like between the hours of like, like three and like six, I'm usually like, I'm not like absolutely useless, but if I do get up early and have a morning, that's like my chunk of day where I'm just like, <sighs> like, I don't know how to person. And then but I, I catch, I am a very, social person I, I don't so I do like having like my evening um but I think by default like because of work like I do tend to like be an early riser and I do tend to be more more productive in the morning but I I also like there's a balance because I like to have that like nighttime social life um like very much so because it really really does fuel me um in like obviously pre-covid world and like now now i would say i'm definitely more of a morning person because i just kind of turned into a pumpkin at night at this point but uh yeah that's i guess my answer so the next question here on my list uh, and we've kind of already i guess touched on this really in, in the previous uh, and sometimes this happens on the show where the previous answers will kind of foreshadow the future questions but i've been asking about uh, and this actually, this is partly inspired by you and your podcast, um, because, yeah, so I, I talk about like silver linings, because obviously the pandemic disrupted everyone in some way, some people more than others, but I'm hearing a lot, even before I started doing this show and getting more and more kind of evidence to support the point, I was hearing from friends online that the, the kind of the shutdown has had some upsides to it, like getting to kind of figure out what really matters to you or getting to try something finally and different things like that. So obviously you started the podcast, which is a huge thing. Um, but I guess kind of aside from that, is there anything that really stands out in your mind as like a, a silver lining or really like positive that resulted specifically because of the disruption of the pandemic? <laughs> um, actually, like, yes, in like several ways. Like it, it really, this pandemic has really brought into full focus my relationships in my life. Um, I, like I already mentioned before about like my ex, like that clearly like put a one put under a microscope, like when tested, it absolutely shattered, um, which was the right thing to happen for both of us, I think. But, um, it also brought like a lot of, like, of other things into perspective. Like I, so my, my girlfriend is like, we're long distance right now. Um, she is my best friend in the world. Um, we were best friends in university when we were both in the closet. Um, I was me very much from myself. Um, and like I said, I mentioned already that like I came out in 2018, um, to myself and several others, but not like at that point, because of those few years where my life kind of fell apart. Um, my girlfriend and I had fallen out like Alex, she, yeah, Alex and I had fallen out of touch and had like, weren't really talking, but she actually was like the first person to reach out to me about the first dystopian telephone project. And um, we started talking again and started having Zoom FaceTimes with like other friends, like my roommate 
is, who is also, she, Kristen, my roommate, Kristen from the podcast, she writes the games for my podcast. And she, um, like it was also in my programs, like her and I have gotten a lot closer and Dejan and I have gotten a lot closer. And then me and Alex were kind of forced, like brought together because of all these other like disruptions. And like, like, I just love her so much. And I'm so grateful to have her in my life. And like, yeah. And just like allowing myself and just being home and like being on, like I ended up on TikTok because of the pandemic, which I wasn't on before. And like through TikTok kind of like helped me realize a lot of things about myself, helped me start to like just look inward and like figure out like what was going on with me. And like, I make, I've made the joke a few times that like, cause people, have, people have like told me, they're like, you seem like you've grown up so much. Like you're so much more mature, blah, 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 whatever, you know, like you seem a lot more grounded as I'm like floating through space. Like, thanks. Um, but I think as much as I joke, I think that really comes from the fact. And I, I say this as a bit of a joke, but I'm not even entirely wrong. I was like, I feel like my entire, all of the insecurities of my life can be explained by three things. Let's see if I can remember what all three of them are. One of them is the fact that I'm bi. Oh, I do. I know what all three of them are. The fact that I'm bi, the fact that I very likely have, and we don't know this for certain, like I still have to go through, but but it's becoming abundantly clear that I most likely have ADHD. <laughs> um, I got to go get that checked out still if I can get my life together enough to make an appointment. But uh, yep, so there's that. And the fact that I am very, very much polyamorous. Um, and those three things, realizing those three things over the course of the pandemic, just through having time by myself and having like, like reconnecting with old friends, um, you know, and, and starting creative projects and taking chances and being lost and feeling, feeling like everything's so turbulent, um, through, but, but also knowing. So like, again, I'm, I'm not going to get into it just cause whatever, I want to protect identities and whatnot. But like, I had a really, really, really rough relationship right before I moved here. and. Um, in that relationship, I was basically like, I just didn't, I was like, basically like, I didn't leave the house. I didn't watch TV. I didn't do anything. I was kind of in a bubble for two years. So, um, when all of this started happening again, I was like, well, here we go. Here we go. This is, this is trauma. This is fun. Um, but I think that like being able to cling to the fact that I was like, no, I've been through worse and I've survived it. And now everyone else is suffering and all this, like, what can I do? Like, how can I? Yeah. So anyway, I think that what the question was what what the silver lining is and I think that that's just like connection and relationships and community like the importance of and even for everybody else I think everyone else is like start on the same coin like everyone else has started to become more gentle with you not everyone but a lot of people have become a lot more gentle with one another and, and started to really understand the value of community and human connection and I think that's gonna carry forth and I think it's already shown it's been very clear in a lot of places in in the world on the micro and the macro scale and I think it's going to continue to, sh to, cause that, that's not going to go away. Like everyone woke up, you know, like I feel like it, it, like it gets called that a lot, like a big awakening, but I, I very much ascribe to that because I, I see it in myself and I see it in everyone around me and I see it everywhere I go. So that's as much as things are really hard, that to me is like the biggest silver lining. Very nice. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> um, so again, like a lot of these questions I'm realizing uh, more and more that the answers are kind of like bleeding into each other, which makes sense because they're all, they're <laughs> yeah. all related. Um, but so the next question specifically, like it started out talking specifically about mental health, but a couple of people have had like brought up like, you know, like chronic illnesses or like physical issues. So kind of any, I guess, any like 
physical, yeah, any kind of, well, no, mental is not the, sorry, any kind of like health issue uh, that you are like comfortable talking about more specifically, um, we do generally focus on the mental health, but like, you know, whatever you want to talk about, like no, what issues, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, what issues have you dealt with and how, what, uh, how have you worked through them? <laughs> I've been pretty fortunate when it comes to physical health overall, but mental, <laughs> my, my mental health is turbulent. <laughs> um, I, it's frustrating because I don't have any formal diagnoses because as a kid, I, like I, I went to the doctor a lot as a kid and was told I had anxiety a lot, but I never, because it was like the nineties and early two thousands, like I didn't like, or I guess not nineties. I guess it really started when I moved like largely, like that's when it started to become, well, no, that's not true either. Let me backtrack. Yeah. It's like, I've always had really high anxiety. Um, like a lot of the time, it, like as a kid, it would present in stomach aches as it does stomach aches and not wanting to go to school and, and, you know, and like little, like weird, like little rituals, like things that almost like, like OCD esque, like symptoms that now, again, back to the ADHD theory, um, all of them make a lot of sense <laughs> in the context of ADHD, which again, I don't know that I have, but I'm, I'm going to be seeking an, an assessment to see. Um, but on top of that, um, so there's that, like that was like, so anxiety has kind of been the biggest thing for me. Um, and I've had various coping mechanisms over the years. Now I, unfortunately it took it. I'm, I'm a very much like muscle through kind of person. And because of my disposition, I have this tendency to the worst my mental health is the more I like mask and fawn and try and make sure everyone knows like thinks that I'm okay. And that has obviously not been great historically um, to the point that like I had to learn um, by being treated like absolute trash and by being not considered at all. And by, by throwing myself into like situations and relationships where I was being taken advantage of, like largely it took, going through that for like years and years and years for me to finally wake up and realize like, wait a minute, I have worth. Um, and like my anxiety doesn't make me less worthy. And like my, like, but anyway, um, and like, I forget. Yeah. Sorry. Now my, Oh yes. Okay. Again, see it's happening now. I'm like losing my train of thoughts. I'm talking about it, um, which I'm very open about my mental health. I will say like, I, I like to talk about these things. So I think it's important um, that people are able to talk about them because I haven't always been able to talk about them openly. And I felt shamed for a lot of these things in my life. Um, but like, I also now have a lot of something that I, I want to mention and I want focus to be brought to you is um, again, I don't have a formal diagnosis of this, but I am working on it with my therapist. So like it's the symptoms are there, but something that I don't think people know a lot about is complex PTSD. Um, so pe people know a lot about PTSD, like regular, regular PTSD, the kind that comes from like a traumatic event happening to you. And then like some time goes by and then your brain can't, like your brain doesn't recover and you start going through all things that you go through. But with complex PTSD, it's a little bit different. Um, like now I've, I've noticed like in the past, again, since I, I came up here and I moved and whatever, the problems I've been having have been largely like, like, like things with memory and things with like like my ability to actually have like a solid conversation and, and like getting like literally like getting triggered by things a lot more frequently than I am used to and having my fight or flight response 
active a lot of the time. Like there will be days where I wake up and I'm just like, okay, so we're doing hypervigilance today. Um, a penny dropping is going to startle me. Like that's what we're doing today. Cool. And like having, so I think like the biggest thing as far as like dealing with it goes, and I'm still working on it. Like I'm, I'm working on it. Like thank goodness I have access. Like my job provides me with phenomenal, like I'm so lucky. It provides me with phenomenal mental health insurance. So like I'm able to see a therapist regularly now, finally, after years of not having the resources that I needed um, and just trying to muscle through on my own with with limited success. Um, I'm finally talking to a therapist. And I'm finally like actually starting like I journal and and like all of those things. But like as far as dealing with it goes, I think that like the biggest thing is just that visibility. Right. Like being able to talk about it like. I, I think back a lot to like the, the lowest points in my life where I didn't have a support system and I was very much trapped in a really like abusive situation. And I, I think about the fact that like the hardest part was having to live a double life. And then I started to realize that like, I still kind of do that. And I still kind of did that. And even now, like I'm a lot more open about things because I have to be because the world is on fire and like things are hard. And like, but I'm perfectly open. Like I'll admit I cried for like three hours this morning because just things were heavy. And then I, you know, and I took a shower and I did what I had to do. And like, it's, I think it's just that it's like, and like I mentioned earlier, like taking little moments to like, to just in like, like take care of yourself in whatever little way that you need. And then acknowledging that and being grateful for your ability to do that. And then just like taking that into the next moment and then taking whatever and whatever, like if something bad happens, cool. You learn, you learn from it and you keep going, you inquire your conflict for me. I'm always like questioning and inquiring and, and trying, trying not to assign meaning to my feelings as much. And there's a whole, there's so many things I could go on forever about this, but, but did that answer the question? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, more, that, and then some, <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, it, it's, this is how it's, my brain is, so. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's, it's like exactly like you said, like I, I'm a very open person as well. And, and part of why this is in the show is because I, I agree it's very stigmatized and people are generally ashamed or they might be like, well, yeah, you know, I've, I've had my, my down times or my, my, my ruts, but like to have people, especially as I, I have more like maybe famous people on. Cause I think there's this also this cultural idea that successful people have like great mental health. They've, they've never struggled or anything. And it's actually like, no, definitely not. No, no. <laughs> um, so no. I kind of want, I kind of want people to know that like everyone does struggle in some way or another and, and hearing how different people have kind of worked through it or what their experiences have been, again, I just hope that someone else will hear that and maybe they'll find some solace or maybe they'll find some encouragement. Um, that's all I can really hope for. I, I try not to like give my own story too much on the show because it would get really repetitive. But uh, as I have said before, I, I am diagnosed autistic. I am not diagnosed ADHD, but like 100% sure that that's going on because literally if, if audience, people watching, even listening, if you could see, like I showed Alana what my show notes look like and all the different like, <laughs> highlights and everything. And just, I have to do that. Otherwise this would be a train wreck. So um, I really, yeah, <laughs> I forgot to bring a fidget toy. So I've just been fidgeting with like a bobby pin this whole time. Like I need, you know, so anyway. Sorry. Yeah, I, I'm actually like l glad that like my hands are like down out of frame because I usually do end up kind of fidgeting with my own hands <laughs> when I'm yeah, just like yeah. listening. Um, but <laughs> yeah, no, like again, it's funny how like similar we, we seem to be in a lot of ways, but also not terribly surprising. <laughs> 
Um, so th this next question, we, we've obviously touched on on relationships already in previous answers, and that does tend to kind of come up. But I think the way that I'm going to like try and reframe this a little bit, because I'm trying to get at like a specific um, outcome sort of idea of like, I've been asking like, you know, because I think back to how when I was growing up, there was like my dad and my mom, my dad was like, you know, you should get a job in the trades. And my mom was like, well, I support, you know, whatever you want to do, but you know, obviously you understand that like, if it's, you got to, you've got to find a way to pay the bills or whatever, but she still wanted, she encouraged me to still pursue the things that made me happy. Um, whereas my dad didn't really care that much about that. So, uh, I've been kind of asking like, how are the close relationships in your life like supportive? But I think the way I'm going to try to start doing it is, is there an example of maybe someone who supported you really in a good way, the way that, that you needed or you wanted and an example of someone close to you who maybe didn't. And just so that we can kind of, I guess, contrast and help people learn. I guess what I'm trying to do is help people learn if they are not getting the right kind of support, how to identify it and maybe what to do about it. Yeah. Okay. So it's funny because I do have that. Like, like, do you meet people who are in my life like right now or historically, like over the course of my life? Um, I just say close relationships, however you want to define that. Okay. Because I feel like, hmm, that's an interesting question. I feel like I have a lot, like right now, I'm at this point where I have a lot of like supportive people and I've kind of gotten to this point where if someone's not going to be supportive, I just like don't need that in my life anymore. And I, the reason I reached that tipping point was because of people who were not supportive. And so I guess that's the example I want to use just because of the stark contrast. Um, so my parents are pretty supportive people. I have to put that out there. Like first and foremost, like, my parents are supportive in the sense that like they both are kind of just like do it, but do what makes you happy. Like they let me go to like weird art school. <laughs> like they, you know, they supported my choice in moving. Like they still help me when I need it. Like I'm very, very fortunate. Like my, my brother, my brother's gay and came out like way before me. So like, and I watched them support him so that when I came out, it was just like, by the way, also I'm bi and also I'm polyamorous. And they're like, cool. As long as you stop dating jerks. And I was like, deal. <laughs> and like, so I've been supportive in that regard by, by them. Um, but, um, I've found that, so I'm, I'm all, as we've established a very open person and I, I talk a lot and I'm, I'm very, I get accused of being very flirtatious and I say acute cause like I, I am like, it's just how I like to, it's how I like to communicate with people. Like I don't, there's no meaning behind it. It's just the way that I relate. I like to laugh. I'm an easy person to make laugh. I like to share things. I like to talk about things. I like to have a lot of close friendships and I have, I like anyway. And like, I like to do a lot of different art and I like to, to make art and I like to do what I'm very, I'm a classic Aquarius in the sense that I'm just like doing my thing and I'm kind of like an odd, an odd one sometimes but I've had like back in the day I used to get really hung up on people who didn't support that because I felt like I was doing something wrong um and so something that ended up being very toxic to me were people who were like "Ooh, you're too open like the classic like Aaron Burr to Hamilton like kind of dynamic right the like say less like talk less don't let people in don't wear your heart on your sleeve don't like and I think that from like, so that kind of like the support where it's like, no, 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 like, I know it's best for you. Like, this is how you should like people telling me <laughs> how I should go about things um, with their own, with their own agenda attached. I think that's been the biggest thing. And even in other people's lives, I've noticed like support that's not constructive and the most destructive forms of support tend to be the form of support that pushes someone else's agenda. 
And like, I was fortunate because my parents didn't really push any agenda on me. So when that started to happen in my life, I didn't really know how to, how to deal with it because I, I didn't have any real kind of like framework to, to like reference on that. Cause I was kind of just doing my own thing through my life until I was like 19 or 20 years old. And then all of a sudden I was like, Whoa, wait, some people don't like that. And I fell really easily into it because I am very empathetic and I do absorb, I want people to like me and I want people to feel good. And I want to, you know, so that, that like faux support, like, I don't really know how else to frame it. Um, but yeah, but the best kind of support I've received has been through, again, I'm going to bring Alex up again, because shout out, sub Alex, because I know you're watching this out there somewhere. Uh, <laughs> but I feel like the kind of support that she and like people like Dejan and people like my roommate and people like, like, yes, my parents, but more so like my found family, I would say, like, I will shout out my parents in this, but also like my found family and like my friends who like my friend, like who live up in up in like Collingwood area or call Nope, that's that nor they live Orangeville area. They all support me in the sense that they listen. And they, 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 they give me the enthusiasm, they, they respond to me enthusiastically when I need it. And they, they come at me with like, like truths. They're honest with me. I think just like honesty, that's not self-serving and like, like just being there, like is really just the best, like kind of support there is in my, in my opinion. And I'm, I don't know how to articulate it beyond that. I'm having a hard time putting it into words, but. Yeah. I think that's I think that's a great answer and and like while you were sort of talking there like inevitably my brain like because it's always sort of trying to do of two course. things at once um I, I'm trying not to like lean too hard into the whole hat uh, metaphor thing but I was just thinking like because I'm as I zero in on what I think the the real crux of these questions are supposed to be. Um, for this one, I was just, my brain was just like, should I start calling this like happy hat and heavy hat? <laughs> like happy hat for the, the positive support and the heavy hat for the people that are like kind of weighing you down and holding you back. Yeah. But I don't know if that's too like kind of tacky. I or... kind of like it. I don't know. But then again, maybe don't take my advice because I love, I love, cheese. I'm a musical theater baby. I absolutely love the cheese like layered mm -hmm. on. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I'll, I'll sit with that a little longer and, and see if it still seems like a good idea, you know, tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> true. True. Draft uh, that one, put it in the drafts for now. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, the next question here, um, I think you may have already touched on it somewhat, but uh, I guess we can go into a little bit more now. Um, I preface this with, you know, failure can be a good thing sometimes because we, we learn from failure or hopefully we do. Um, and so I like to ask, what is uh, something, you know, significant in your life that you, you failed at or didn't go the way you wanted, but you learned something really important from it. And what was that? So I absolutely avoid failure at all costs because I was a straight A student. Um, <laughs> and that's that on that. But something I, I kind of laugh about because I went from being a serial monogamist to being in like, and like only dating men to being like a queer polyamorous, like long distance, like, like in like the healthiest relationship of my life. So I think honestly, the thing I failed the most at is monogamy. I, I failed at it and not in the sense that I was cheating on people, like not in the sense that like, like, I don't know, I won't get into all the reasons as to why, but like, I think the biggest thing was like when I was being monogamous, I was so like my parents are this really beautiful like they they met in high school and like grew up like you know like they ran away from their small town together and had this like life and they did all this like and they're still like happily married and have they all they're missing is a white picket fence like I've definitely said this on the podcast before but like and so like that was how relationships were modeled to me was like this like you know like 
heteronormative, like, mo- like mono kind of deal. And so I was trying to replicate that in my own life because I see connection so absolutely deeply. And I absolutely like just like thrive in any kind of relationship. No, it doesn't have to be romantic. I thrive in relationships when I'm being true to myself. And I don't think I've ever really been true to myself in a monogamous relationship ever. Not just because, cause again, I am bi, like I'm not, I'm, I won't, I'm not saying just cause I've been dating men, like for the record, like this isn't, I'm not saying that because I was dating men, I was failing, but I was, I was in these like relationships where like I was trying to fall into this role of like, like I ended up, I mothered a lot of people, not because they necessarily needed it. Like that's where I failed was I, I gave too much emotional labor. I, I, I made everything about them. I put my needs second. I became enmeshed with people. I became codependent. I, I got like, I didn't really, I thought in my head it was like, because I didn't deal with, didn't like, because I wasn't a jealous person because I wasn't dealing with jealousy and because I felt like helping my partners all the time I thought I was doing well and I was like why are my relationships failing like why am I just like picking these people and then like I did a bunch of reflecting on it like as my last relationship ended at the beginning of the pandemic and I was like oh (laughs) I started to look at like myself and I was like oh okay 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 so maybe I was maybe part of maybe the problem a little bit (laughs) and and like coming to that and like feeling that like kind of like shame part of it and like dealing with that I think I really learned like to to make time for myself and to put myself first like and I think that's why polyamory is so important to me because even if I'm only in one relationship like my I'm not I'm always in two because my first relationship is always with myself and like I don't consider myself solo poly because like Alex is my primary partner and I don't see that like changing like she's she's a good one but uh um anyway um I keep getting sidetracked um but yeah like I think that that learning to I learned that like my relationship with myself is integral to my relationships with other people and if I'm not attending to my needs first like if I'm not and I think I said this to you in the break like if I'm not putting my own mask on first I'm not in a position to actually help and any help that I like what I in my experience what I was doing is any help that I was giving these people that I was with was was not helpful like I wasn't meeting them where they were I wasn't allowing I was taking on their pain and I was taking on their problems and I was trying to fix them and that wasn't good like that was not constructive and I think that as soon as that clicked like I it became possible for me to have a healthy relationship and to be in a healthy relationship and that also made it possible for me to accept myself and to like (laughs) to be like oh right I'm a lot gayer than I thought I was (laughs) and like all of that just like all fell into place the second I was like, I need to love myself. Um, and so that's been, that's been like the goal ever since, I guess. So, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> <Great answer. laughs> um, so yeah, we've, we've talked about a lot already. We're, we're just about to the end here. Um, but so this next question, um, you've probably had a chance to think about it a little bit. I don't know if you would have any new things to say based on what's transpired here, but I like to ask for advice because, I mean, a lot of stuff comes up during the show, but maybe if to, to kind of ask people to like encapsulate or just to kind of say, okay, just here, here's some advice, just spit it out. And 
So I'd like to do it again because I want my audience, I want this to be beneficial for like, you know, young people, teenagers, maybe, you know, early 20s um, for, you know, kind of middle age, like not uh, whatever you want to call that, I guess, sort of like in the 30 to 50 range and then like sort of more like elders or grandparents. So um, you can give the same piece of advice to all three groups or you can give each group different advice if you want to. But what advice would you give to a teenager, to a 30 year old and to a grandparent? Honestly, I think it's the same advice, kind of, with maybe like a different like lens. My biggest piece of advice is just like never stop learning. Never stop learning and all and like admitting you're wrong is like like please do. Sometimes you're gonna be wrong. And that's okay. Being wrong does because I feel like I feel like we're kind of taught and like especially older generations. So maybe this is like an extra shout out to anyone like over over 40 or whatever. I don't know when this idea like started to shift, but like I feel like a lot of the time when I come across like older adults, like in like my parents' generation and older, I would say, um, I, I met with this mindset of like, oh, I am who I am. And like, I don't want to talk about my feelings and I don't know why they all talk like this. But anyway, like, I feel like I met with that a lot. And that just sounds terrible. Like, like my biggest, maybe again, maybe I'm projecting, but like my biggest fear is to just like be stagnant and to like stop learning and growing. And, and I've also found that I found the most peace and freedom and and love in my life when I've been able to admit my failings and my shortcomings, because I'm a human being. And I think that a lot of people are trapped in these, like in my, again, I don't have, I have no idea. I like to preface everything I say by saying, I no, I don't know anything except for what I think I know. Um, And um, yeah, I think my advice would just be like, like always be curious and, and critical and, and don't take yourself too seriously. Um, advice I'm still trying to take to be completely honest, but yeah. Yeah. Be, be curious and open to learning and open to admitting that you're wrong. Cause sometimes you freaking are. <laughs> you just gave me an idea. I don't think I'm going to add this to the show, but I was tempted for a second to add a question <laughs> to say, what piece of advice that w- you know, would you, that you're, you're not good at following yourself. <laughs> you give to other people, because I think that's the thing. Like it happens between me and my partner all the time. It's like, you know, well, you tell me to do this, but then you don't do it. And they like, well, you tell me to do this and then you don't do it. <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> <laughs> right. And yeah, I feel like, oh my gosh, like literally, like for me, it's like talking about my feelings and like, I apologize for crying so much. And like, but then like Alex will cry and I'm like, no, you have to cry. Like feel your feelings. It feels good to cry. And then I start crying and I'm like, I'm sorry for being a burden. Like that's yeah. <laughs> but at the end of the day, like it's, it's a practice. Everything is a practice. That's what yeah. I tell myself. Yeah, Everything absolutely. is just a practice and you just keep, you just keep, keep going <laughs> and keep learning. So now we get to flip the script and ah. we get to, um, you, you've kind of already gotten to interview me and ask me some questions, but uh, you're going to get another chance now. Um, I don't know if I've given you the preface about what a lot of people have asked. Um, oh. this, usually people ask, or at least several people have asked about, you know, why I started the show and like what I hope to get out of it, which I've kind of covered a bit already, but um, you can ask me a question from the show, from the bonus, anything else, whatever, whatever you want. <laughs> Um, I, I kind of like, and this is terrible to just like steal your question. Cause like, I would love to know, I would love to know what is a piece of advice that you give and don't necessarily follow because I think, cause I was going to actually, what I was going to ask you, I was going and like, I'm almost, I feel like this is a little bit of a gentler way to ask. Cause I was going to ask about the, the, what you failed at and learned from. Cause I think that's really interesting, but I think this is almost like, 
like a present moment version because it's something that you're currently not quite getting, you know? So like what's something that like you know to be true but can't quite practice maybe is a better way to frame it. Well, the absolute most recent example of that that just happened earlier today is that my my partner has been uh, helping out a one of their best friends, someone who they say doesn't really have many other people in their life to help support them. And so my partner has been taking on uh, a lot of extra emotional labor for this person. And my partner's not really in a great position to be doing that. Um, yeah. And like, it's like, I've been telling her like, you know, that's, that's a huge burden to put on yourself and you're already struggling. And, but I've been kind of doing the same thing for her because she's been struggling a lot too. And so I, I don't know if you ever heard uh, this will be another little tidbit for, for, you know, you and your audience and, and my audience of like, have you heard of the, um, I think it's an article, maybe it's a book about um, like the, the like circle of complaining or something like that, where oh. you're supposed to like, you're only supposed to like complain out, but people who are further in the ring from you, like it's like, Basically, if someone else has more going on or more a bigger trauma, then they're allowed to complain to yeah, you, yeah. but you can't complain to someone who has it worse than you. So mm -hmm. it's like, so I'm kind of looking at like, I'm sort of, I feel like where I am in my sort of situation, I feel like I have more capacity right now to be supportive, which has meant that I've been supporting more than I've been supported. And I mm -hmm. kind of realized today, I'm like, you know what, I don't really have too many people that I feel like are kind of outside of my own ring who have even more support to give that I can kind of turn around to. Mm -hmm. um, so like, basically, I was just kind of saying like, you know, me and my partner, we both need to work on kind of boundaries and, and not... Because we want to help people and we are empaths, and but you have to be careful with that because Absolutely. you can easily yeah. get burnt out. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> um, I know it. <laughs> yeah. So, and like, I think kind of in terms of the like the failing, I, I did touch on this in, a, in another episode as well of just, I feel like, and again, kind of how I was explaining earlier about this, this show is kind of the culmination of so many other projects that I created that I was trying to, I was trying to find something. I was trying to, yeah, I was trying to find something and it, it like, cause I did a podcast years ago where I was interviewing people and I really enjoyed it, but I ended up stopping it after a while. And then after a couple of years, like I miss interviewing people. And so I started doing it again in a different form for various reasons that ended up having to stop. And then of course, a couple more years pass and it's like, man, I really miss interviewing people. Like, why does this keep coming back? Like I'm an introvert. Why do I like talking to people so much? Cause I'm a social introvert. Oh. Um, and so like I started this and it's just kind of like, so I said to someone like, it's like, I didn't, I didn't clue in right away. I kind of like tried and failed and tried and failed and like stopped and like, okay, maybe that, that must not be it because I'm not still doing it. And I've kind of realized two things, like just because you start something and you, and you don't keep doing it doesn't mean that you weren't meant to do it. But also yeah. sometimes you can try something and you're just not, you don't know yet that it's the right thing and yeah. you will eventually come back to it. So yeah, uh, yeah those are you kind know, of my, back up. Yeah. yeah. So those are kind of my, my two answers. <laughs> good answers. Good um, answers. And it sounds yeah. like you're working through it. Like it sounds like you have a really good mindset towards both of them. So that's really good to hear. Yeah, it's like I said, it, the reason I kind of actually did bring that up specifically of like, you know, being bad at taking your own advice or actually acting on your own advice is because I like that's something that's been really like 
put back in my face a lot lately of like, I'm telling this other person to like do this or not do that. But what am I doing? I'm doing or not yeah. doing that. <laughs> so my why is it? Yeah. <laughs> my therapist had like a great, and I've heard this before, but I like bringing it up to people because this is my therapist is encouraged me to do is to just like, like think of myself in various parts, right? Like the part of me that's giving the advice isn't necessarily the part of me that needs to be taking it but it doesn't make either part of that any less valid. And like, it's okay that you don't always like succeed. And like that gentleness with yourself is important too. like to be able to sit with yourself in your, in your shortcomings as much as in your successes. Cause mm-hmm. like, you're always going to have both <laughs> and you can't mm-hmm. always practice what you preach all the time. It's just not, it's not realistic. <laughs> yes, that's yeah. true. <laughs> so, um, last kind of question before we do sort of the, you know, the promotional outro stuff. Um, are there any specific charities or causes that you would like to promote or raise awareness of? Okay. So I epically failed on this one because I forgot to actually get the resources. So I don't know. Um, you can send them to me after the fact. I can look into, I have to find, I, I almost just want to say, look up your local, honestly, something that I think needs attention and resources. And, um, and again, I don't, and the reason, the reason it's, frust- it's frustrating because I can't even think of, of like the services because I don't see them as much as I'd like to, but like, like violence against women programs. Like I really, really, really think that like there's such a stigma around, around domestic violence and there's such a stigma around people. Um, the number of times that I've been told, you don't look like somebody who that would have happened to just is like, it's like a punch to the gut every single time. Cause I'm like, no, who, who looks like they would be a victim of domestic violence. Nobody. That's the issue. Um, cause it's so insidious and it's so, and the resources, it's hard to find resources and it's hard to talk about. Um, and I think that it creates this cycle where, where people like I was really fortunate in my situation cause I was able to get out, but a lot of people, and like, I didn't have kids and it was a whole thing, but like a lot of people aren't that lucky. And I think that like raising awareness that it's, it's right in front of you and people that you care about could like, Cause that's the other thing too, is like every, ever since like the more people I talk to, the more people have had similar like circumstances, whether or not they're as severe doesn't matter because it's traumatizing regardless. So I think that like, like that awareness of, of domestic violence and, and resources for not just women, but like, cause again, like I found like everybody can be a victim of domestic violence and, and interrelational aggression and violence. And I think that, just made up that term, I think, but um, I think that awareness of that is really, really, really important. And that's, yeah. So I can find some resources that are actually more concrete. I wish I had thought of it before halfway through this episode, (laughs) but that is a cause that means a lot to me. So. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And that's uh, not something I necessarily have personal experience with, but definitely people that I know do. And um, just because this has bothered me in the past in post-production, when I kind of think of something, but I don't remember exactly what it's called. So I looked it up and it's called the ring theory of supporting someone through trauma. And so, yeah, yeah, the idea is that you like draw rings and whoever has the like hardest situation, you're not allowed to like dump more of your problems on them. Like they're allowed to dump outward. And um, that's what that's about. So um, yeah, I just wanted to like actually get that, um, right so that people could look it up if they wanted to um yeah and so with that said um we're gonna do the plugs now and um i'm sure you don't have quite as many to do as i do but i know uh, i have like two (laughs) well take it away okay so i personally um on instagram i'm at alana.bomb so like a-l-a-n-n-a dot 
B-O-M-B. That's where I'm at. And I'm also, you can find the podcast, Dystopian Telephone, on Instagram as well, at Dystopian Telephone. Um, And we're also on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. I think probably other platforms. Um, Dejan is the tech guy and knows more of the platforms that we're on. But check out where you listen to podcasts, uh, Dystopian Telephone. I think we have, by the time this comes out, we'll probably have like 12 or 13 episodes. Who knows? But we're fun. It's a good time. Yeah, those are all the plugs I want to give. And so with that said, um, (laughs) uh, this is already a pretty long episode, so I think I'll keep it short this time. Artemiscreates.com. I know you've heard this every time you've listened to the show. That's where all my stuff is. Um, I actually have a physical copy of my book now, um, which which is a brand new thing. It's called Parker and Tucker. You can get it on Amazon currently. Eventually, I'm going to look into like other places to get it, but Amazon owns like something like 65% of the ebook market. So if it wasn't on there, nobody'd be reading it. So unfortunately, yeah. I have to be on there. Oh, um, got yeah, and uh, yeah, I've got merch and and other writings and stuff. Actually, I've got um, go to armscreates.com/books. There's uh, that's kind of where I've like put everything sort of in one place, and uh, the merch is on on my site as well. And I'm working on some new designs, which hopefully will be out soon. And yeah, I'll let you look at the rest of it. Uh, I'll get the, keep things rolling here. Um, I'm starting to do a new thing here, a couple of new things actually. So uh, I want to say to the audience first, um, please, uh, if you've listened or you've watched, um, please leave a comment to tell me what your favorite insight or fact or just topic or whatever from this episode was. I, I keep I always forget to like do like fan interaction or audience interaction. So. Let me know what you learned, what you liked, what you laughed at, um, whatever. Even if you think it sucked and you it was too long and, you know, whatever, just let me know. <laughs> um, and with, before we do the hats, um, I'm also doing a new thing here where I am having the guest uh, do the whole, like, I am so-and-so and you're watching what such and such. So if you can say your name and that, you know, you're watching hat collecting. All right. <laughs> Okay, my name is Alana O'Reilly, and you're watching Hat Collecting. Thank you so much. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, just because I'm always looking for things that I can like kind of clip out and stitch together later to make like compilations or just you know put little little things out there for kind of promo promo efforts. Um, mm-hmm. And so, with that said, uh, we are gonna do our hat thing now, and uh, this is gonna be interesting because. This is definitely not going to fit over my headphones, but maybe it will. <laughs> do um, I reveal? Do I wait? How do we do this? Do you want to go first? Or do you want me to go first? Ooh, I'll I, I'll go first. And okay. Then, <laughs> I don't know. Whatever, it's fine. Yeah, this is this is my hat. Has a bow on the back. Oh, that that's adorable. <laughs> it's summery. All right, I have a feeling that you're going to laugh at this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> It's perfect. It's right. so good. Oh my oh god, my is god. it blinking? Does it yes, have lights it on it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, and the glasses. <laughs> That's such a good look. Yay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I almost forgot to Oh, it has a buckle on it too. I didn't put it on the right way. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> um, hang on a second here. Oh, it's so which, like... way, which way is it? It's this way. And this is why people need to watch and not just listen. Oh, wow, this is a fun hat. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll stop describing the hats and then people actually have to go yeah. to YouTube to see them. If you're oh, not watching all, like, it, why? 
Yeah. So when I was trying to pick out a hat, because I, I didn't know what you were going to wear, and I was like, okay, well, if we're if you're going to be black and white striped, this is kind of a black and white hat yeah. of sorts. And um, yeah, and I kind of wanted to like use it, and and then I can kind of retire <laughs> it from service. This is like, I'm amazed this actually fits on my head. <laughs> I love staying it. Upright, That's but so yeah, cool. I got this from from Value Village around Halloween time, and. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, I think it was only like a few bucks. So I'm like, you know what? That's, that's worth it for, for my show. Nice. <laughs> um, yeah. So this has been an extended version of hat collecting. I'm not sure how long this is going to be after the editing, but I don't care. <laughs> I, this is, you're welcome. If you want more of this, check out yes. my extremely long podcast. Yes. Uh, and of course, we still have to do the bonus episode, yes. <laughs> which yes. hopefully you still have time for. <laughs> I have, it's, it's COVID. I have nothing going on tonight. <laughs> yeah. So that said, um, if you want to hear more from Alana, if you haven't gotten your fill, uh, head over to Artemis Creates, or sorry, patreon.com slash Artemis Creates. <laughs> and that is where all the bonus episodes go, as well as some other content. I'm still working on getting a little bit more stuff up there. But um, we have another set of uh, about a half dozen questions that's a little bit uh, more kind of fun. So um, yeah, that said, this has been long enough. Thank you so much for sitting through this. And I hope you enjoyed it and you learned something. And I will see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>